I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted particularly because of the, the topic that we're going to be discussing today and the people who are going to be discussing it who are in media's race. You know, women and women's involvement is good economics, and that's actually what the title of our, our, our meeting today, our breakfast meeting today is, Fighting for the Economic Future of, uh, of American Families. So I have the pleasure of introducing three dear friends. One I just met today, but the other two I've served with in Congress and I consider them cherished friends uh, and, and great advocates for public service. Uh, they're going to be leading the discussion to protect the economic future of American families. And collectively, their efforts within the newly founded Women's Policy Committee, which I want to learn more about, and I think you do too, are helping to shape the agenda of the Republican conference as a whole and are providing a number of current key pieces of legislation and reform efforts. You'll hear about some of them today. Our very first speaker is the very dynamic and bubbly and hardworking Congresswoman Martha Roby. She represents the 2nd District of Alabama. She's in her first term in Congress has quickly embodied the same fiscal conservative philosophy and leadership of her fellow members of the Women's Policy Committee. No other legislation symbolizes this resolve, the sound budget reform, than her sponsorship of the House Budget Act. If passed, this bill would restore integrity to the budget process by eliminating chemistry through strengthened rules and accountability. Efforts like this have shown Congresswoman Roby's resolve to affect a budgeting process that has failed taxpayers over and over, in addition to her willingness to tackle this important issue. <clears throat> Good luck to you, Congresswoman. <laughs> <laughs> it's always my pleasure to welcome Congresswoman Martha Roby. much for having me and I have to say um, there are certain moments once you become a United States representative that you reflect upon and say wow what a moment and I will say sitting here with these women um, this morning it's wow what a moment so as a freshman uh, representative this is a big deal for me to be sitting here with you all this morning but to be um, on such a has highly esteemed panel to be introduced. Thank you um, for that. Um, I had a conversation with Eric Kanner not too long ago, and it was during the, the VALA debate, and I said, Eric, I just, I really, I've got to get this off my chest. I said, these, these are not, we got to be very careful here because they're not women's issues, and we don't have women's issues. The same issues that are important to you, I promise you, are important to me. I go to the grocery store. I fill my car up with gas. Um, these things are important to me as well. And as most women, although this, I guess pretty stereotypical, that are in, you know, in the home, uh, taking care of business throughout the home, um, sometimes we understand those issues better. And um, so I think it's so important, as was mentioned, that we need women in Congress, we need more women in Congress, because we offer a perspective that is vitally important to the American people and our economy. And so 
Um, you know, part of that is sitting around the kitchen table and, and looking at your finances and figuring out how much you make and how much thing can you spend and how much do you want to save. And what I quickly learned uh, once I came here is that Washington does not work that way. And I served on a nine-member city council for almost two terms. And we did, by law. We had to balance our budget. We couldn't spend more than we brought in. Uh, and if we did, we were in big trouble. Um, so we started you know, thinking about and looking at ways. And thankfully, I have uh, Senator Jeff Sessions uh, as one of our state or US senators for the state of Alabama, introduced last year the Honest Budget Act. Um, and you know, this was an effort to look at the nine most commonly used budgeting gimmicks. Now, I, in the interest of being completely honest, I had to sit down with um, CRS on, I think, three different occasions, at least two that I can recall right off the top of my head. And I'm still not by any stretch um, and, and wouldn't tell you that I know all the ins and outs of federal budgeting because of how complicated it is. But in order to just grasp and understand these technical um, um, points in the language of the bill that, that we've introduced now in the House, which is the companion bill, and it's the Honest Budget Act of 2012, Honesty and Budget Act of 2012, um, to really take on and address these budget gimmicks, the first of which is you have to pass a budget to appropriate money. What a novel idea. And, and then goes through several others that prevents using chumps, which was a big, the, the changes in mandatory spending. And the way I explain it back home, and I guess the way I could use it, there's probably plenty of you in this room that, that understand federal budgeting better than, than I do. But, you know, if, if a dad gives a son $50 and says, son, you need a new pair of shoes for school, you need to go down to the store and get you some shoes. So he goes down to the store, the shoes that he needs, well, they're on sale for $25. So the son saves $25. So he immediately goes to the store next over and buys the video game that he wanted for $25. He gets home, dad says, where are your shoes? And he says, dad, you're not gonna believe this. I got these shoes for 50% off, I saved you $25. He said, where's my $25? He said, well, I bought this great video game, but I saved you $25. <laughs> That's how this place works. You know, we don't spend money that has been authorized, and then we turn around and we use it as an offset for deficit spending. And that is truly, you know, outside of other major uh, mandatory spending issues that we have that we all know, um, that's how we've gotten into this mess over the course of years. And, and what this bill, and, and again, in a very technical sense, attempts to do is alleviate the ability to use that kind of gimmickry to the American people. It is truth and honesty in saying this is what we have, this is what we can spend, and this is how we can save. And I think the American people are really crying out for that. Um, I listened to one of my colleagues during the Budget Control Act um, debate, Alan Nunley, talk about a time in his life, this was at a press conference when he and his wife had to sit down at the table and very tearfully go through their finances and make tough decisions about uh, where they were in their lives and how they were gonna make things work. Um, and you know that there are people all over this country right now that either have already done that or are having that conversation right now at their kitchen table. And so um, I believe that it is a, um, and I know it's a difficult task, 
Um, but with Chairman Ryan has taken on some of these issues and some of his budget reforms, um, some of which I hope will be voting on. So if we don't pass this out of the House as a standalone bill, it is my hope that we can attack some of these gimmick, gimmick issues in some of those other bills. But that's what I'm up to on the Honest Budget Act, and I do appreciate very much the Reform Society making sure of writing that up in your publication and giving us an opportunity to explain that. Thank you for letting me be here today, and when it's question time, I look forward to trying to answer your questions. Thank watch that Honest Budget Act now, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of supporters from people who are here. I wanted to, before I introduce Judy Bigger, I just wanted to also acknowledge uh, Judge, Congresswoman, friend, Deborah Price. Thank you for being here. Well, Judy Bigger, and I served with her, and it was such a pleasure, and I still look at the work that she does as, as a highlight. Uh, in terms of economics or work on the committees and even in women's issues which affect all people. She represents Illinois' second district. She's currently in her seventh term in office and from her post as chair of the House Subcommittee on Insurance, Housing, and Community, she has long touted mainstream Republican solutions and is known as a lawmaker not afraid to cross the aisle. Her quest to bring stability to the Federal Housing Administration and National Flood Insurance Program is a kind of thoughtful and responsive and responsible reform needed, and the reason that she's with us today. These measures would mitigate the financial risk for more than 7 million loans insured by the FHA and provide the type of oversight that will help stabilize the real estate market and address the program's $17 billion debt. So, with those words, let me welcome and ask you to welcome Congresswoman Judy Bader. Thank you so much, Connie, and we still miss you here. And every time I see your person that's taking your place on the, on the floor, I get the lights. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and also with Deborah, uh, you know, we had a great group, and, and I think that so many of our my friends have have left the, the Congress. But I, I wanted to talk today a little bit about the bipartisanship, and I, uh, this is my 14th year that I've been here, and I think that I've seen a lot of change uh, on how we how we govern, how what happens in the in the Congress and trying to get uh, to find the solutions and it's been I think it's has really gone downhill and I think the American people are really concerned about uh, job creation and the economic growth and the debt but the third thing and that's what I hear from people at home is why can't you get together and solve these problems and I think that that is what we have to do for major major legislation uh, you know we tried to, to do uh, Social Security a few years ago. We didn't even have a dot on the piece of paper, and ARP had already come out against us. So it, this, this just isn't working for these big programs. Now, I'm going to talk about something that Shelly's going to, oh, no, not again. That's okay. Because <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> you're going to say the same thing when you hear me. <laughs> 
But I'm gonna, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the uh, flood, flood insurance bill and, and how that came about and how it, how it worked in a different way that I think some of the other uh, members are trying to, to do uh, their bills the same way. And that is the National Flood Insurance Bill. This really started in 2007. Barney Frank had a bill and I was with him and then suddenly uh, uh, Maxine Waters took it over when they were in the majority and I got kind of pushed off of this, but it still was something that was very important to me. So having this subcommittee of the jurisdiction decided uh, with my staff that we were going to do something very different. We were going to not have a bill that you just take and, and give this to people and say, please vote for it. We were going to have what we call a draft, and it, and it circulated among all the groups. And I know I see a lot of people here. You're probably saying, oh, yeah, we know how this works because we were there and really helpful. But all the groups that really cared about the, the flood insurance bill, like the insurers, the environmentalists, the home builders, the, uh, every group, um, appraisers, everything, that, and construction, and those that care about levies. And so what we did was to, to give everybody, all the groups, that bill and say, here, just look at it, you know, what do you think, uh, put in what you want in there, and then got together with all the groups until they reached an agreement, and all of the members that had uh, uh, concerns about flood insurance and had uh, floodplains in their, in their uh, districts. The premise of the bill was really to start uh, turning this over to the private sector, bringing the insurance back in, the private insurance rather than the taxpayer being responsible for this. And so this is a, is a phase in. And it, uh, after all that work, uh, it came to the subcommittee, passed on a voice vote. When it got, well, I have to say that we had people, some of the co-sponsors and the Democrats joined us uh, Maxine Waters became my, my uh, co-sponsor, and it passed 54 to nothing in, in committee, in the Financial Services Committee, and there was this pause. Like, how did you do that? And so uh, some of the other members said, this is really great, we're going to have to do this. So then it went to the floor, and it passed 406 to 22. Now, there's always those members, the 22, I just, that vote no on everything, like Ron Paul, Ashley. He had a, an amendment in there, so he was for it for a while. <laughs> but, and then Jeff Flake, as you know, so it, so, but it has, and then, that was last July, was sent over to the Senate. Now, that's a different story, isn't it? You know, the rarefied air over there, the House of Lords. Uh, takes a little while to get anything worked out, but they did pass their bill out of out of committee. But it sat there, and we called, and we cajoled, and we tried to put it on, you know, get them to put it on other things to get it out. Because Harry Reid said, "Oh, we don't have floor time." Of course, we looked at their schedule, and they hadn't passed a bill all year, so I don't know why they didn't have floor time. But suddenly, a couple of bills started to come out. But I met with. Uh, um, Shelby, I met with uh, Johnson, the, the chairman of the banking, and, they, and I said, do you want a bill? And they said, yes. So I said, can our staffs work together on this? And so there was sort of a, a, a meeting uh, of, the, of the staff, and eventually uh, 41 senators t uh, sent a letter to Harry Reid saying that they wanted this bill to come forward, and then 
The other thing that happened that really changed the whole dynamics was that the groups, all of you who were involved, went to the Senate, and there was a, a week of just pounding on all the senators saying, we need this bill, and I think that really made the difference, that this bill then all of a sudden was going to be, well, they tried to attach it to several things. It was like my housing counseling bill. Again. It kept going over to the Senate and then taken off, and we finally got it on, onto another bill. But this, so finally, 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 uh, we got a pre-conference and a conference, sort of. Uh, I mean, that was really done in one weekend. Uh, it was worked out, and the next week it came up, and it was put onto the transportation bill. And the student loan, which also happened to be my bill, I, I had a twofer out of the three <laughs> bills. I was really excited about it. But that's how it got up out, and I think it just takes a lot of working together, and I think that's maybe is is what we really need to look at. That we, you know, politics is the is the art of the impossible, but it's also the, uh, the the compromise that really is needed. And a few years ago, I did um, where I started financial literacy, and I did that because I thought that some of our members needed Econ 101, even in the financial service. So started that caucus. And I think we need another one called negotiations. Uh, because I think we really have to work out to really sit down and do that. If we're really going to really find, we've got the answers, but we have to get together and, you know, and, and really do that. And it's a real challenge, but negotiations is so important across the aisle. And, uh, and I've been elected as one of the most bipartisan members. So this is my thing right now, negotiate, negotiate. So I was really really happy with this, and so now we have a, a, an act that's called the Bigger Waters Flood Insurance Bill. <laughs> those, names, those names just happen to be, you could just take the T off my, off my name, and it's a really good, a good name for a flood insurance <laughs> Bigger Waters. <laughs> but I think that that's my message, is that I think that, that women really, uh, I think, look for the opportunity to, to find common ground and yet not give up on your values is, is really the way that we have to work. And I hope that, that this will move uh, uh, people to, to really work together. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it certainly shows you needed a strategic plan, you needed to know how to implement it, and you needed perseverance. And so I commend you for knowing that it, it doesn't happen overnight. Incidentally, I understand from Jim Councilman that originally Maxine Waters was going to come and be with us this morning, but then she decided, uh, I don't know what you were, too intimidating? <laughs> she sends her best friend. <laughs> uh, I'm now very pleased to uh, introduce our next speaker, who represents the 2nd District of West Virginia. She's the daughter of a former West Virginia governor. Uh, Congresswoman Shelley Moore Capito began her pop and the politics in 1996 when she won uh, a seat uh, in her state's House of Delegates. Four years later, she would come to Washington on the strength of defeating her opponent in a district where registered Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one. I served with her for my last year, my last two years uh, when she came aboard. I understand that kind of uh, uh, numerology. <laughs> In addition to protecting her district's vital coal production, the Congresswoman has played a key role 
in ensuring our nation's financial system is equipped with bipartisan oversight and common sense regulatory reforms. As chair of the House Subcommittee on Financial Institutions and Consumer Credit, she has fought to protect small financial institutions and the role they play in leading the growth and innovation of small businesses and entrepreneurs from the overreaching regulations that are uh, the overreaching regulations that are imposed by the filling of life, the Dodd Frank Act. <laughs> Uh, before you welcome her, I wanted to mention that this was the year which was the 100th anniversary of the Japanese cherry blossoms that were presented here. And I was at an event, the former members have a congressional study in Japan, I was at an event where Ambassador Kuchiwaki and other people were here to celebrate it. And uh, Shelley Moore Capito, who was involved with that study group, was there, and I found out she had been a cherry blossom princess. <laughs> Thank you, Connie, for bringing that up. I told my kids it was a beauty contest. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, it was it was fun being a cherry blossom princess, but uh, I, I, I like Congress a lot better. <laughs> things I gotta gig Jim Councilman just a little bit for the little sign I got here, Representative Shelley Moore Capito, C A and I told Today Connie, Virginia tomorrow the world. Right. <laughs> no, what I said this is and uh, Martha won't think this sounds so great for her. Calculated age forty five. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I appreciate being here with my two colleagues. Uh, I know Judy obviously served with her the whole time and it's always great to serve with Connie and with Deb. Deb was a big inspiration for me, she knows. She told me not to get on that rules committee and she was right. <laughs> and Martha and I got to be good friends and uh, we had a lot of fun together. Uh, when Judy's talking about bipartisanship and civility, I don't know that Judy knows that I am the co-chair with Emmanuel Cleaver of the Civility Caucus in Congress. Okay, we only have 19 people <laughs> in the Civility Caucus, approximately. There's over 190 in the Wine Caucus. <laughs> so Joel, my chief of staff, uh, suggested that we have a coup and take over the Wine Caucus, and maybe that would make us more civil. <laughs> but we have to do something about this, and uh, I think Judy's right. The tone uh, sets a lot of uh, how we're able to work together. I did notice that uh, the former speaker, uh, Nancy Pelosi, said yesterday that uh, if there was more civility, there would be more women. And I was like, well, let's take your own advice here. And maybe if you're more civil, that would help too. Uh, so I think we're all, we all have uh, uh, problems, uh, I guess, or issues. But I do think the tone is, uh, it, it, we just lose people. And we're, we're losing the young people. They're just not paying attention anymore. They're, they're flipping off of, they're not going to watch us bicker and, and stab and knife and, and, and uh, denigrate. It, it, it just is un, unappealing to them to want to get into the political process if this is the way it moves forward. Um, so I, it, I can say that. In terms of financial services, uh, I, I think there's nothing more critical to a woman or a family than uh, 
full, uh, you know, financial services, access to credit, being able to afford not just food, but an education for your child, a new car, in my case, the health care for your elderly parents, all the stresses and strains, and a lot of that falls really on the woman. I, I heard a startling statistic the other day, and I wish I could requote it, and I, I won't because I, I, I might mess up the exact numbers, but the family structure in this country is changing, and many, many, many higher percentages of children are being born into single-parent families. And obviously, that's a woman. That's the woman who's the head of the household without the support. And there's all other issues uh, surrounding that. But economically, that presents enormous challenges to this next generation of families. So in my subcommittee at Financial Institutions and Consumer Credit, we're going to have the C CFPB in today. For those of you who are financial uh, folks, know exactly what that is. That's the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau that was created under the Dodd-Frank bill. It's a, a behemoth, behemoth. Um, uh, federal bureaucracy that is funded uh, out of the Federal Reserve and has no oversight on, their fu on the funding uh, mechanisms from Congress, which we've been fighting that in our committee. It's, it's headed by one person who couldn't even get an appoint appointment from the President. Remember, this was Elizabeth Warren's um, brainchild. And uh, they wouldn't appoint her because they knew she would never get, uh, she would never pass um, Senate approval. And Richard Cordray from Ohio is there now, and he is just appointed as a temporary, uh, I'm not as a temporary, but as a, uh, uh, a recess appointment uh, in, into that position. Uh, and it's very problematic when, when you're looking at accountability. Uh, they just fined yesterday, Capital One, $140 million, I think, in a joint finding with the OCC. So there's vast powers in this, in this bureaucracy, but the oversight of, uh, of Congress and, and our committees is in uh, our ability to really impact this is very limited. So you're going to see us fight through this. We've been fighting it. We've got a couple bills. Sean Duffy's got a bill, um, and, and in our subcommittee on you know let's have a uh, rather than a single director, let's have a committee. All kinds of things of that nature. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Just a small uh, issue that I've been working on. That well, actually, let me talk about my bank bank examination bill because Connie mentioned my uh, initiatives to try to help smaller institutions, community banks, to be able to remain healthy and viable. Well, I'm from a rural state, uh, uh, you know, basically. I mean, we think we got a hop in one. I mean, my, you know, we're, we're really urban in Charleston. We have 53,000. I mean, it's, it's, and, and so that's big city for us. And, uh, and we love it, we love it. But we don't have the big financial institutions or the, or the uh, infrastructure that comes along with it. We are so reliant and have to be on our community banks and our credit unions. They are the fabric of, of that neighborhood, of that woman walking out the door thinking uh, to herself, I've got to buy four new tires. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And if they can't go to the community bank or in a small community and say, you know, help me out here. I might not have the best credit, but you know me. You know where I work. You know my family. Or you know uh, I'm going to be, you know, to have that flexibility with the, with the community bank is extremely important to the, to the fabric of the families. And so as a reaction to 2008, the bank examiners have been coming in to the banks and really giving mixed signals uh, in terms of uh, how they're looking at uh, the bank's finances and how they're writing reports and, and, and the timeliness of their reports and then the ability for community banks to, to lodge grievances against whether it be the FDIC or the OCC or the Federal Reserve as their uh, regulator. And I put together a, uh, 
bipartisan bill, again, uh, following, as Judy said, it's, it's, it's really strengthens your bill, obviously, to try to impact the way these examinations are moving forward, to make them fair, to make them transparent, to make them timely, to make them accountable. And um, actually, we've already had an impact. We haven't moved our bill yet, but we are getting feedback from our community banks that the FDIC and others are being much more amenable because this is sort of looming over their horizon, that they're paying better attention and they're being much more accountable in their bank examinations and uh, the dual dia the dialogues are moving uh, in, a, in a much more positive manner. So, you know, whether the, whether the legislation gets out there uh, in its entirety is one thing, but at least I feel like we've had some sort of impact because of the anecdotal um, uh, conversations that we've had. The one thing I will say, and I'm going to talk about a really niche issue uh, that impacts women in financial services that's come about because of the CARD Act. Remember, that was the Credit Card uh, Reform Act. Well, in that, it says that you have to, in order for the credit card to be able to extend credit to you, you have to have ability to repay. And I will say as a caveat, I stayed home with my children for 16 years and earned nothing uh, during the 16 years while I was uh, uh, staying home with them, although I had a lot of fun and I earned a lot of um, great relationship with them and all things that you can't put a price tag on. So it was a great 16 years. I loved it. But if I were to apply for a credit card during that period of time, I would not be able to get a credit card in my own name because I had no ability to re I would have had no ability to repay. This is happening across the country now because of this new regulation. So let's just put it, you're in a military family maybe, your husband's deployed, you can't get a credit card in your own, while you're home taking care of the kids. You're in an abusive relationship, the first thing that uh, a counselor is probably going to tell you is you've got to start establishing credit in your own name if you think you're going to get out of a marriage, whether it's abusive or you just want to get, you want to separate or whatever. If you don't have some kind of financial backing, it's very difficult and, and to gain the self-esteem and, and the economics to be able to get out of a, um, a difficult situation if you don't earn any money. So we're trying to fix this. We've been pressing the CFPB to redo the rule, to look at household income, or to have some other way of looking at it so that the availability of establishment of credit in your own name is available to those. And now, it's not just women who are staying home with their children. As we know, there's a rise of, of uh, men who are staying home uh, with their children, and then the people are weighing their economics to see which, who's the best one to stay home at the time. And especially when we've got a downturn, a lot of people lose their jobs. A lot more men are, are, are staying home, and I bet they're having as much fun as I had when my kids is not such a bad deal, especially in the summer. Woo, I think we'll sleep in today, <laughs> But my husband jokingly, somebody said, why is your wife running for Congress? And he goes, too many snow days. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to thank you all for what you do for Ribbon, and I want to thank Jim for his great friendship. He was on the committee uh, when I first joined the committee uh, in 2000, and I, I had no idea what I was doing. So thank you for holding my hand through the whole thing. And uh, thank you all for being an attentive audience. And if you want to have questions, yeah, they're ready.